The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. From climate change to energy and environmental matters, you're listening to Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to Unleashed on TNT. I'm your host, Mark Morano. All right, well, I'm always amazed when major celebrity figures get red-pilled and decide they don't care about their old life and are willing to throw it all away, face the same kind of treatment Donald Trump does. Dr. Phil, who rose to, of course, fame and prominence on the Oprah Winfrey show, about as establishment as you get, and then did his own nationally syndicated show, Dr. Phil, has a new book out, and he's been red-pilled. He is going out there talking about illegal immigrants. He's going out there talking about the transgender ideology and the surgeries and mutilation of children. Dr. Phil, he's going out there. He's been on The View, about to show you a clip of that. This is important. If we are to battle the chaos, the great reset, critical race theory, climatism, COVID and medical tyranny, uh, censorship, the collapse of energy, food, agriculture, we need people like Dr. Phil to step up and do what he's doing right now. It is absolutely remarkable. What doc, and I'm going to show you some clips today that are just, especially some clips from uh, someone named Mel Kay and Kurt Metzger, who's the comedian, Mark Kurt Metzger, who just really has some incisive comments. Anyway, Dr. Drew, let's start with this. Clip one drops truth bombs on the ladies on The View as they try to justify two years at school closures. This is him talking about COVID lockdowns. Uh, just, again, I don't know what's happened. Expect, by the way. Well, I'll explain that in a minute when we come back. Let's go to clip one, Dr. Phil, the new and improved Dr. Phil. And the same agencies that knew that are the agencies that shut down the schools for two years. Who does that? Who takes away the support system for these children? Who takes them away and shuts it down? And by the way, when they shut it down, they stopped the mandated reporters from being able to see children that were being abused and sexually molested, and in fact sent them home and abandoned them to their abusers with no way to watch, and referrals dropped 50 to 60 percent. So, there was also a yeah. pandemic yeah, going was, on. They were trying to save They were trying lives, to save kids' well. lives. Remember, we know a lot of folks who died during this. So it wasn't, people weren't laying Not around eating children. bond, but well, you know what? We're lucky. Maybe we're lucky they didn't because we kept them out of the, the, the places that they could be sick because no one wanted to believe we had an issue. Are you saying no school children died of COVID? I'm saying it was the safest group. They were the less vulnerable group and they suffered and will suffer more from the mismanagement of COVID than they will from the exposure to COVID. And that's not an opinion, that's a fact. Wow, did you hear that? Even the View audience in LA, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the audience is still wearing masks, uh, at least up until last year, 2023, I think they were wearing masks. They, Who knows, they don't cut to the audience as often. They applauded Dr. Phil. Did you hear them say, are you saying no children died? In other words, schools need to be closed indefinitely because if a kid dies, that's blood on your hands. Uh, and they're also, you know, 
still justifying it. It's that idea that unless you jump through hoops A, B, and C, 100 million people will die. And then you jump through hoops A, B, and C, and you say, look, 100, people, 100 million people didn't die. I told you. I'm a scientist. I predicted it. You need to give me expert status. This is mild stuff. Dr. Phil pushing back on club compared to what I'm getting to here. Dr. Phil decided to go on Joe Rogan's show. Again, Dr. Phil, mainstream figure, you always, you know, very good. He deals with relationships. After this next clips I'm about to show you, expect lawsuits, sexual harassment, rape allegations, expect cancellation by the corporate backers of his syndicated show, expect publishers of his book to get jittery. Uh, expect speaking tours to be canceled. He is, he is cementing himself as a persona non grata, but I digress. Let's see what Dr. Dr. Phil tells Joe Rogan about the madness of child transgender ideology. It's interesting they choose words like uh, gender-affirming care. You know, that's, that's interesting that they call it that, but really what they're talking about is hormonal therapy or sex reassignment surgery on children. And in fairness, the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Endocrine Society or whatever the exact name of that is, all of the major medical associations have signed off on this, Joe. They've signed off on it. And I have never seen those organizations sign off on anything with less information as to whether or not it does long-term harm of anything in my life. And when I, when I ask about that, when I bring that up, then they immediately label you as transphobic. And I, I thought that the deal was first do no harm. And all of the European countries, you know, Sweden, Norway, they, they've all stopped doing it because they say, we, we cannot say in good conscience that this does no harm. Because it does harm. If 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 you look at the long-term consequences, if someone changes their mind at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, uh, they can't decide which pajamas they want to wear at night. And their reason for doing it is it stops this drive for suicide, that there's a suicide epidemic. It doesn't fix that. It doesn't fix all the comorbid issues that come along with feeling like they're in the wrong body. Um, but yet they're pushing this. Wow. I mean, he is laying it out there, going through all the tenets of the trans ideology and just saying it doesn't make sense. And if you notice there, he's debunking the appeal to consensus. All these medical societies, can all these experts be wrong? Who are you? Have you studied epidemiology? Have you studied transgenderism? Are you an expert in biology? How can you weigh it? Well, that's my kid. It doesn't matter. These experts, these are thousands of the world's premier doctors. Do you know more than them? You. These are a consensus of experts. 99% agree that the transgender surgeries are necessary to save lives and give them a better quality of life. Dr. Phil is nailing and debunking the same arguments I dealt with for decades in climate change. Can all these scientists be right? Do you know that every major governing board, the American Meteorological Society, the National, uh, the American Physical Society, the uh, you know, uh, uh, American climatologist, every major society would be trotted out. The Canadian Royal Society didn't even have 
didn't even have a, a alert members. None of the groups that these science societies actually did in climate ever polled the rank and file members. It was all just two dozen board members of the governing association steeped in politics and funding would issue the suitable climate declaration they had to. And of course, when they did poll members, one of them did the American Meteorological Society, like 75% at one point were skeptical of climate change. And that's what Dr. Phil's going, except this time he's talking about transgenderism and all these big medical societies. This is what gives it the patina of legitimacy. This is how they railroad parents, how they railroaded schools, how they railroaded communities, how they railroad celebrities, how they railroaded politicians, how they railroad us into silence to go along with their agenda because the world's foremost expert doctors have looked into this and studied it and put their expertise to knowledge. Kudos to Dr. Phil. We're not done. Clip two, Dr. Phil goes on and talks about, debunks even more. The idea is surgery saves lives. And he, take a look, clip two. I've, I've talked to a lot of teachers and they're telling me that they have a duty to the children, that if the child is not ready to talk to their parents about this, that it's okay for them to keep a secret from the child. Now, let me tell you what my problems with this are and see what you think. Um, First off, if this is either a psychological phenomenon or a medical phenomenon, and the teachers are not trained in either psychology or medicine, they're not any more trained to deal with that than they are to take out the kid's spleen in the homeroom. So if that's true, if it's a psychological thing, if it's, if it's gender dysphoria, or it's a, it's a medical uh, issue, then you need someone trained in child psychology, psychiatry, or medicine, and the teacher's not trained in any of those three things. Like I say, they're not any more trained in that than they are to take out the child's spleen. So how are they qualified to deal with that? Secondly, it's teaching the child to keep a secret from their parents. It's teaching deception. Wow, and these are your children. These are our children that we're talking about. And the idea is these are experts. The teachers know best. And we need to ensure they're not trained for this. They know nothing about it. Oh, well, wait a minute. They're relying on the expert advice. All these medical boards endorse this. Not only is it political correctness, but it's also money. And there was a provision in the Obamacare bill years ago. I think it's 100,000 counselors coverage of this now in medical, medical procedures for transgender surgery. And you're, it is, this is fueling the madness, a delusion that's spreading like wildfire. I think it was um, Bill Maher uh, who said, you know, thank God, you know, that this ideology wasn't around uh, 40 years ago because kids who wanted to be a pirate would have their eyes surgically removed to match that of a uh, pirate. Um, but Dr. Phil just nailing this. And his next point is going to be, well, let me see here. Uh, part three. Okay. I guess that's it for Dr. Phil. But this next clip, uh, well, let me finish with Dr. Phil, though. Uh, Dr. Phil, the courage it's taking for him to come out and basically say this is a giant lie, it's a house of cards, it's medical fraud, and he's going on things like Joe Rogan, and, and The View has him on. I don't think The View is going to invite him back uh, unless they're, I mean, they might invite him back one time to just attack him and put him up against some trans activist or something like that. Um, but he also said, if he questions any aspect of this, you're immediately denounced as anti-trans. Again, same in climate, 
Same in COVID. You're a COVID denier. Uh, frankly, same during the national security terrorism alert. You know, you, know, you don't think terrorism's a threat. Well, of course, we need the Patriot. Of course, we need a surveillance state. Of course, we have to give up our freedoms. Of course, life has to suck and government has to take over. It. We had to keep you safe. I remember the Boston Marathon bombing. I was horrified. I think it was after 9 11. But anyway, they issued a stay-at-home order for the entire city. Don't leave your home, stay in place. Because a one lone gunman loose in the city, a size of Boston, I'm sorry, I would have taken my kids and gone out. I just, I can't deal. I mean, not if I was right next to it, but I'm just saying as a citywide thing, I'm just not gonna, oh my gosh, let's all hide under the table and wait. The law enforcement has to do its thing. That's not, it's not the way the world should be. Because then when you acquiesce to that for any reason, the powers that be want the world like that all the time. Why? Because they're in total control during those little used to be glimpsing moments, and now they want to make it permanent. The great reset type permanent. Okay, this is clip five. This is a radio host who's on Jimmy Dore's show named Mel Kay, and man, does she nail the ideology behind the trans movement. Get ready for this sit down watch this it's not very i mean it's uh, almost it's a minute and a half clip a little over that you got to watch this mel k one of the most eloquent denunciations and explanations you will hear about the trans movement just pay attention clip five I'm like that well i think there's three things going on here one is they're creating uh big pharma clients for life yep. uh, people don't like to think that way but that is absolutely true i think that also people have to understand this is coming from the agenda 2030 17 development goals this is coming from unesco the world uh the world education uh system that comes out of loosest trust what this also has a lot to do with is Mao's China. Like I told you, I wrote a script once about Mao's China and people getting out of there. And I'll tell you, the first thing they did was they told you that your parents weren't your parents, that uh, Mao was your father, that the state was your was your god. And a lot of this has to do with eroding uh, children's connections, not only to their parents, but also their self-esteem, their self-worth. Now they're getting it from the state. And they're get. I believe that they are creating little Eichmann type. Uh, some of these kids are going to end up believing that the state. You know, when Eichmann was put to death, his last thing he said was that he uh, he was he was a good soldier and he was loyal to his Führer and his flag, and he'd do it again. And I'll tell you right now, I think a lot of this has to do with a having a a generation of children that will never be able to fight back because they're so messed up in the head and they have no self esteem, no self worth. A lot of their foundation is crushed. And, and they're not teaching them the real things that they need to succeed in life or be entrepreneurs or be even creative. And then on top of that, they're creating a, a generation of kids that think that their parents don't love them. There is no God, but the, but the school, which is the state, loves them. And they, they have a loyalty to the state that supersedes um, their family and, 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 you know, tradition. And I really think that they're creating a couple generations of children that will never, ever be able to stand up against the authority that they are creating in their totalitarian one world plan. Wow. Never even heard of Mel Kay before this. Uh, I'm trying to get her on this program because I just think she's done her research. She's done her history and she nailed this. The whole idea of bringing up uh, Mao and bringing up the idea that this is the powers that be literally just destroying a youthful generation making them uh, eunuchs in many ways. And that's really what transgenderism is. I mean, you become a eunuch. I don't know if you've ever heard 
can't remember which activist it was, but the surgery where the woman, a man, sorry, becomes a woman, it's absolute genital mutilation. It's absolute nothing that anyone has ever warned about who's went under it. it almost 100% regret when you hear it. It's like an open wound uh, in that area. I mean, it is, this is serious stuff. Okay, I did find, we do have one more Dr. Phil clip. This is clip four, Dr. Phil sort of wrapping up on Joe Rogan less than a minute. And I think this will very telling as well. Their justification for that is, well, if the child goes home and announces this, or if we tell it to the parent, then the child could get abused, the child could get judged, the child could get kicked to the curb. Uh, but they have to admit, statistically, that that is very rare. And if that's the case, that's what we have child Department of Child and Family Services for. That's what we have Child Protective Services for. If that's the case, then you call in for some intervention if the child is being abused at home for whatever reason. Uh, then you get intervention in that way. But you don't come between the child and their parent. The parent has the right to know what's going on. And that's exactly what they want to do, is get in between the child and your parent. And the idea is a school in the state become your family. Remember Hillary Clinton? It takes a village, yeah, a totalitarian village. Okay. Uh, Mel Kay mentioned uh, Eichmann, uh, that's Otto Adolf Eichmann, the former Nazi, one of the architects of the Holocaust uh, in Germany. This is clip six, Kurt Metzger, a comedian, plays at comedy clubs. Wait do you hear him. I think he was raised Harry Krishna or some kind of religious cult. It's very astute, but he nailed the Nazi connection. In transgender ideology hold on to your socks clip six so you're gonna you're gonna eugenically castrate the children canada's already making it legal for kids to to decide to commit suicide assisted suicide you saw you've seen yeah, that right yeah so yeah. does it sound familiar to anybody we help nazis we salute them in canada we're funding them we're youth people with mental things we're just castrating them eventually humanely euthanizing them does this remind anybody of anything Anything at all. A Reich, if you will. A Reich, if you will. Making the direct Nazi comparison. And that's absolutely right. Canada is trying to eliminate as many citizens as possible with their national suicide health care coverage and, and counseling to, to urge you to do that. Okay, so what's the origin of this, you know, in modern time? I mean, obviously, it goes back to, you know, this is chaos. This is this is a whole idea, the ruling class trying to divide us against ourselves. We're going to be fighting over racial ideology trans we're going to be fighting over climate we're going to be fighting over um, economic warfare we're going to be fighting over uh the lockdown they they want us fighting in these cultural battles so that the real theft can take of course much higher peter flaherty the national policy center got arrested for explaining the origin of the funding of in modern times critical race theory and gender uh, ideology at Bill at Warren Buffett's actual Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting. This is from two years ago, and I had him on my TNT show as well to talk about this. But this is clip seven. Here's who funds transgender ideology and critical race. If we had an independent chair, the company would be less identified with Mr. Buffett's political activities. He's donated tens of billions to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. As Bill Gates explained, when the company was still together, although the company bears our names, basically half our resources have come from Warren Buffett. If woke culture is the disease, then philanthropy is the virus. 
The Gates Foundation bankrolls the teaching of critical race theory around the country, including that math is inherently racist. The Gates Foundation offers a gender identity toolbox, which asserts that gender is a result of socially and culturally constructed ideas. This is a lie. Gender is not a cultural construct. It is a genetic and biological fact. You're not gonna censor uh, what I say, ma'am. I'm very sorry. And I'll appeal to the chair that I'd be allowed to continue. Sir? Uh, you may continue, but you're under a three minute limitation. Of course. We know how much Bill Gates cares about children. He met and traveled with Jeffrey Epstein many times oh, after Epstein's convicted oh, sex crimes. The Gates Foundation had a huge influence on the COVID response fiasco. The Gates Foundation may be the largest single donor to the dark money machine known as Arabella Associates. It funds causes like defunding the police, making American cities unlivable. Money goes also to groups conducting That was Peter Flaherty literally explaining that Warren Buffett gave money to Bill Gates. Bill Gates publicly bragged that he couldn't have done this, even though it bears his name. The funding came from Warren Buffett to create gender identity toolboxes for children. Warren Buffett, who would have ever thought Warren Buffett was the radical behind transgender ideology? And by the way, Peter Flaherty, the National Legal Policy Center, it's a conservative group, was legitimately at that meeting. He's a shareholder. He had been recognized by the chair because he mentioned what he did and because he mentioned Jeffrey Epstein's connection to Bill Gates. He was taken away, arrested, handcuffed, thrown in jail. And that actually happened. And that was Warren Buffett watched, directed, and authorized it. That's how much they don't want you to know the truth. And here he is. Just one last clip. Show the final clip here of him getting arrested. It's like 10 seconds. You can see him getting pulled off here. Our manager should not create shareholders' money. And the girl, and she created the shareholders' money. She let them make all the decisions, but we do not. We do not let them decide that our own person. And of course, Warren Buffett just wants the meeting to go on as they arrest the guy for speaking, who was legitimately there as a Berkshire Hathaway uh, shareholder. This is the world in which we live. All right. Well, um, I needed to get all that done. I did have one other point real quick. And this was something I'd given a lot of thought to this because it's not an issue I usually deal with transgender, but I remember Mavis Leno, Jay Leno's wife, this would have been right after 9-11 when we were fighting the Taliban. She was condemning, I mean, I remember it was in that time frame, and, and we were, there were, she was arguing for women's rights in Muslim countries, but also Africa. She was condemning female circumcision in Africa. Well, and they also had the old practice of foot binding in China. I remember on our street where I grew up, um, my friend's grandmother had tiny feet because they were bound by the Chinese government or cultural institutions, I should say, it may not have been the government. But the idea is women with big feet were considered ugly and they wanted women with small feet. And then you have historical castration for soprano singers. Someone's a great singer, you don't want them to go through puberty, so you castrate them. All these were banned. 
They're looked down upon. Uh, but now we have gender affirming care in the modern age, and that's you can't question it because you know why the experts all endorse it. It's insane. Science doesn't advance. We have not advanced as a culture. All right, enough of all that. When we come back, we are going to be joined by nuclear experts, uh, nuclear engineers, and nuclear experts. We're going to have on. Uh, we're going to have James Walker joining us and Jay Young Yu. We're going to be talking about small nano nuclear energy and how this could be the future of energy. And for all those of you worried about climate change, it's a way to actually have true clean energy, not solar and wind and EVs. Those aren't clean energy. Anyway, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Stay tuned. TNT's Bruce de Torres. How did that impact you, that, that first year of studying and realizing you, I presume, were seeing something that was not only unprecedented, if not unbelievable, but unbelievably harmful what did that cause you to do i realized really from the very beginning of the pandemic that this was all um pushed by propaganda this, this was this wasn't science this wasn't medicine this was propaganda that was being pushed by the mainstream media it was pushed by public health authorities that i knew to be corrupt from my you know legal battles uh, before the pandemic uh, these were very corrupt individuals who were pushing these pandemic measures. Uh, and really, it seems like all proper medicine and science was just being thrown out the window to push a certain agenda and certain pharmaceutical products on the population. World Stage and Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together. Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed on TNT. I'm your host, Mark Morano. All right, joining us now is Jay Yang Yu. Uh, he is the founder and executive chairman of Nano, the company's trailblazing efforts to revolutionizing clean energy solutions through microprocessor, microreactor, and small modular nuclear reactor technology. Also joining us uh, on the program is James Walker, a nuclear physicist and the project lead manager for constructing the new Rolls-Royce nuclear chemical plant. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us. All right. Just well, to correct you, Mark, uh, James yes, is no longer. It was former. He was the <laughs> former. Was former. One. Yeah. yeah, in the past. Yeah, that was many years ago. We just want to make sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. No problem. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Correct me that. All right. Yes. 
Uh, I've had a couple nuclear uh, experts, nuclear engineers, nuclear physicists. We've talked nuclear energy on my program. Um, well, first of all, let's start with you guys. What got you involved in nuclear energy and the promotion of it? And how important is, I mean, it, it's incredible. Nuclear was a was huge, 1950s, 60s, into the 70s, at least in the United States, rolling big. Uh, and it's still rolling big in Europe and France and all that. But And then, I guess, China Syndrome, Three Mile Island, it all just sort of, you know, publicly, public went sour on it and it became very hard. And then, of course, the regulatory burden that came and it became almost impossible to build anything new. Tell us how you got involved and tell us why this nano technology, the small reactors are a game changer. Yeah, I'll, I'll start off first. I'm Ju, the founder and chairman of Nano Nuclear. I came up with the idea about three years ago. Uh, I was looking into the whole renewable space and clean energy space, and and this acronym SMR, small modular reactor, kept popping up in my face. Uh, I didn't know much about it. I'm I'm more of a capital markets background myself from Wall Street, but I needed a rock star CEO. I needed a number two, a nuclear physicist, and that's where that's where I was able to recruit our rock star CEO, James Walker. Um, we we analyze the space and and what we realized is the, the largest um, market was actually micro reactors or thus nano reactors that we're building. And James could add on to, to more of that. Yeah, so okay. <clears throat> I got into nuclear um, half by choice, but uh, when I when I left university, I was um, an engineer, but I got recruited by the Ministry of Defense and got involved in projects involving nuclear weapons, nuclear submarines, and um, they trained me to be a nuclear physicist and setting up masters. And, um, <clears throat> but to be honest, actually, around about sort of 2014, 2015, as you mentioned, there was, it, it really did look like the nuclear industry was on the decline. And I, I moved over to North America. I got more involved in project management, um, capital markets, IPOs. And that's how I met Jay. And <clears throat> when he did bring this project to me and just said, look, I think nuclear is the future here. I, I, I was cautionary, actually, and just said, well, public sentiment isn't great. It's a high bar to entry in nuclear. Everyone's pretty much a, a doctor of, of nuclear. Um, and the costs, are, the costs are big and the regulatory process is hard. But um, as Jay mentioned, when we looked at the landscape, there was huge potential here. Um, and especially in the microactor space for you, you could almost, if you were to get these things built, compete like outcompete diesel generators in remote locations because they don't need refueling. So you're looking at mining sites, remote oil and gas sites, remote habitation, military bases, desalination plants and medical facilities in remote locations, maritime vessels having bunker fuel replaced by by microreactors. Essentially, hundreds of thousands of these things could be produced in a, in a year. And, when we realized how big the potential market here was and that the, in this space there was no real, there was no real company leading in the microreactor space, we got very heavily involved and we have big advantages given Jay's background in um, Wall Street and raising capital to, to push this technology very quickly. And Jay can speak about some of the, the technical teams that he went out and raised here, but really some of the best scientists in the whole world in nuclear coming in to work for us to build out these uh, these two micro reactors designed to work. Well, I will give me an idea that these are they're called the micro reactors and, and a nano nuclear energy. Give me an idea of the scale. In other words, your average size nuclear plant versus a micro reactor. Are we talking five percent, 
30%. How much smaller is this? Could it fit? You know, some people might think, uh, is, is everyone going to have one in their garage one day? Or, you know, instead of a furnace, yeah. you'll have a micro reactor in your basement. <laughs> how, how big are we actually talking here? <laughs> so, like, um, if, you, if you think about this big civil nuclear power plant, I mean, you're looking at, what, 100 acres, 150 acres of land? Yeah. Occupying something like that. It's huge. They're, they're enormous. Um, a micro reactor... Think of an ISO container, the thing you see on the back of a truck or on the, on the shipping container. That, that's what we're aiming to put the entire plant with it. It's a, it's a very different device. It's, it's a mobile piece of energy generating equipment that we can ship anywhere wow. in the world very quickly. Like by conventional transportation means like trucks, trains, ships. Um, really, and, and that's the advantage this has. Very different market. Wow. And this would have huge implications, obviously, in the developing world, like for Africa. You know, they wouldn't even need to go to fossil fuels in many countries. They could, if this were a viable and feasible at scale, is that something that could happen? Like in developing world countries that yes. lack that, that was actually our one of our main case studies that we we brought to the table in the beginning. We were able to recruit the the leading nuclear scientist and diplomat in Africa. His name's Dr. Lazani Zorbel. He, uh -huh. we, at Nano, we saw exactly what you said, a vision of, um, you know, third world countries or, or areas that, that don't have uh, power in, in, in remote habitations. So James mentioned desalination, building hospitals. I mean, this will be able to provide that for these remote locations. Yeah, and, and just to add on to what Jay said too is there's going to be an enormous amount of resource that's going to be opened up. So say, for instance, like mining operations, one very critical component of economics is being able to supply fuel to that remote operation. But it becomes very uneconomic very quickly when you're shipping in huge quantities of diesel on a daily basis to run these things. With a micro reactor or a, uh, that sort of system, you have consistent power for 10, 15, 20 years. And so you can suddenly unlock all of these minerals that are, that are really tied up in these locations that are far removed from grid systems. So it could open up enormous, and it's not just Africa either. Like even, this could even make economic, um, more deposits economic in the States, Canada, North America, Europe, all over the place. Well, I think what is like 19, 20% of US energy, is that correct, comes from nuclear right now, currently? Is that about the figure? It's about that. And you, you mentioned earlier on on the, on the call that there used to be a huge enthusiasm in the 50s for nuclear and that kind of petered yes. out. And then look, a lot of the reason for that was you had things like Three Mile Island and Fukushima, yeah. which are bad PR. We, we always try and remind people that no one dies in these incidents. And, but and nuclear is unfortunately because it's been tied to the government who don't care about PR, the communication about how safe it is is always lost. So if we tell people it's the safest of all energy forms, and it actually, if you look at deaths per gigawatt hour, it beats out wind, solar, everything. Yeah. It's, it's an important thing to try and remember with this, that we need to change public sentiment and perception about it because it is the safest form of energy out there. And if we can, if we can, we can assimilate that into our consciousness, then the regulatory framework will ease up a bit on it. And it will eventually be, and it should theoretically be, the cheapest form of energy out there. It should beat out coal, gas, everything, theoretically. But all of the upfront capital costs, plus the financing related to those capital costs, plus the regulatory process, that's what adds the cost to nuclear, not nuclear itself.
Well, what after Three Mile Island, after the China syndrome, there was a joke. I think it was um, the New York Times, uh, not Mythbusters. Um, can't remember the authors, but they said if you're worried about global warming, blame Jane Fonda because it was her film, The China Syndrome, which turned public sentiment <laughs> against nuclear. <laughs> funny because Jane Fonda is a huge climate activist. Uh, it was Freakonomics. That's who said that. The New York Times oh, writers. Yeah, 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 that was funny. Um, but here's a question. How different in the U.S. were the regulatory? How long did it take to get a nuclear plant online pre-1975 like, versus post-1980? Was there a huge difference in regulatory red tape? Like, was, was it a doubling, tripling, quadrupling? I think it went in, it, it was almost an order of magnitude more. So say, for instance, if you're assessing like a coal power plant, you'd be looking at an accident incident in one in 10,000 years, but for nuclear, it's one in a million years or one in 100,000 years. So. <clears throat> but because of that, that, that order of magnitude, you end up with a, a way more stringent and expensive licensing process that is not incumbent on any other um, fuel source. And that, that has added considerably to the time and cost of deploying these things. So it's funny because if you look at early in America, you've got reactors at university campuses just going up and people trying to put nuclear reactors on planes and just experimenting and having almost fun with these things and making designs for like nuclear powered cars. Um, now, like you're, you're facing even for a small reactor, like a micro reactor, an ISO container, like four or five years of heavy, and that's if things go very well, the intensive anal safety analysis, which is really for a micro reactor, very excessive, I have to say. You know, and even the ghost of Chernobyl, if you will, HBO had a special and, if, you know, I mean, I think they may have handled some of it fairly, but I mean, it just, it scares people. The public gets terrified every time and Chernobyl was scary. Is Chernobyl, just give us a brief summary. It was obviously that was used by anti-nuclear activists to scare people, but that was far from anything to actually do with what anyone else, normal people would do with nuclear. That was a disaster waiting to happen. Can you give us a little background a, on that? Yeah, it's such a strange case because it, obviously, they were they weren't running a nuclear reactor normally. They were they were running accident scenarios and where they where there's intervention and they were doing tests. And some of the problems were that like the nuclear engineers knew what a lot to do a lot of the time, but they had to get permission from Moscow to do a lot of these things. So there was obviously a delay there. Plus, um, there was intervention to stop them shutting down the plant because of how it would be politically seen. Um, a lot of the re a lot of the dials on the things didn't weren't able to display actually what was going on in the reactor. So they were trying to break the reactor and they were trying to break the reactor so they could test how safe it was. But the, to test how safe it was, they needed permission to put the safety methods in place. Because to be honest, it's very difficult to break a reactor. And even if it does break, it's, it's not, it's not going to kill anybody, like, which is why I mentioned Fukushima and Three Mile Island. Nobody died at those kind of incidents. Um, and even when they show a reactor like blowing up, reactors can't blow up. Like that's probably just excess hydrogen or, or high pressurized hydrogen just blowing up. But the reactor itself really just melts. Um, and then you've just got to basically clean that up. Um, but it's got bad PR. It's got, it's got bad PR and it's suffered from that. And as a consequence, I think we've all suffered because there's no reason why it couldn't be like France supplying 80% of the power, yeah. you have very good sovereign energy, you're not reliant on energy like oil imports from abroad, um, and you have control and you know the cost of your energy for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So if, um, if price hikes are coming in oil, 
it doesn't really matter for nuclear. It's, it's amazing. Be, yeah, it's amazing. And, and just to add in a fun fact about France, I think uh, they, I think uh, their citizens, if they live close enough, they get free energy. So yeah. in the U.S., imagine the government says, "Hey, live around the reactor, get some free energy." Yeah, How many people that. actually move, right? Yeah, no monthly bill. Well, what is uh, in terms of France? Why are they so enlightened on nuclear versus the U.S.? What, is, is France the only? How many other countries in Europe are like France? And are, is that and, and is nanotechnology the micro? Is it taking off in France? Is it taking off in Europe? And what's the history of this? When did it? De when de did it? Definitely not in Germany, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and just to add to what Jay said, there is that. The, well, there were a number of countries that actually went nuclear, like the United Kingdom. Um, Germany was a, a big nuclear power. The thing is that like. The green lobby, for some reason, even though they're harping on about carbon emissions all the time and, and nuclear is carbon free, um, they still got in power and they, they, they pushed nuclear out to try and bring in more wind and solar to power the, the baseload energy of the country. And the consequence of that actually was that that was not sufficient to power the country. So Germany had to buy energy from Poland and that was powered by coal. Um, and they had to buy energy from France, and that was nuclear powered. So their bills went up and their carbon emissions went up. So the Greens got exactly what they deserved in that, on that front. You know? um, and that's what happens if you're going to push, push out nuclear to try and bring other renewables. You're not going to be able to have the consistent power you need to power your developed country um, or a developed infrastructure. And you're going to have to source it from somewhere else. Um, so SMRs are taking off there. And I, I'd say one reason why France was you could say more enlightened, but to be honest, they're just stubborn. They're just a stubborn country with stubborn people, and they were they don't care what other people think. They just kept on, <laughs> they kept on um, soldiering on with nuclear while everybody was downsizing it. And now, obviously, they're in a lovely position because the U.S. is very much behind and needs to build back a lot of its infrastructure, and that means that the French get to sell a lot of nuclear fuel to the U.S. and, and nuclear expertise, and the U.S. is in a position now where it has to buy that expertise and fuel from from france because it it didn't decommission um, all right uh, we have to take a break we'll be right back we're talking with jay yang Yu. am i saying that correctly of nano nuclear energy uh, you could say just say ju yeah just ju okay um yeah, easy and, yeah. and we're also talking with james walker a nuclear physicist so we'll be right back this is unleashed with mark morano when, when we come back i'd like to talk a little bit more about how portable this is and what you see as the future. I mean, how are you going to overcome this public perception and the regulatory hurdles? This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Stay tuned. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. This past Saturday, before the South Carolina primary results were in, Donald Trump was at CPAC and he addressed the consequences of Joe Biden letting the illegal invasion into this country. It's migrant crime. It's a new category of crime. And I wanted to call it Biden migrant crime, but it's too long. So we just call it migrant crime. We have a new category, migrant crime, and it's going to be more severe than violent crime and crime as we knew it. Because we have millions and millions of people and they came from prisons and jails. They came from mental institutions and insane asylums. No, they're not the same thing. An insane asylum is a mental institution on steroids, okay? It's uh, Silence of the Lambs. 
okay? You know that. Hannibal Lecter. And here was his finishing touch. They're all being deposited into our country. And then you have terrorists, and then you have drugs, and then you have human traffickers, and they're coming over at levels never seen before. We've never seen anything like this. Vintage Donald Trump telling it like it is, the reason he walloped Nikki Haley on Saturday in South Carolina. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. My name's Stacy. I'm 57, and I was adopted in 2020. We were adopted in 2019. And we were adopted in 2021. We had a house, um, and it sounds crazy, but it wasn't a home. The one thing that Jake and Emma brought is it became a home. When I met Dakota, he had just turned 14. You weren't there for the first this and the first that. I missed the first words, but we got a lot of other firsts. I'm watching her say, oh my God, I cannot believe I got my license. And she's like, I passed. And I'm like, girl. <laughs> See them grow. It is. They chose to love us. They didn't have to. They chose us. Family. You and you. Kids in the middle. What I thought was a complete life was nowhere near complete. <laughs> but it is now. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit adoptuskids.org. From economics to the woke agenda, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, we're talking with J.U. Uh, the uh, from Nano Nuclear. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, we're talking with J.U. Uh, the uh, from Nano Nuclear Energy, and we're also talking with nuclear physicist uh, James Walker about nano nuclear, micro, tiny nuclear plants. You mentioned earlier that they were portable. We were talking about like in villages or areas in Africa or South America. Um, how portable are these? micro reactors and when you say portable i mean that you can drag them to a place for a day what's the commitment usually how can they how do you move them around i mean explain that a little flesh that out a little bit sure so um they really will be on the back of a truck i mean these really? things are gonna, they're going to drive down the highways to deliver these things um and the whole the whole system will be contained within one of these iso containers so we envy if the if the market takes off properly and there's no reason why it shouldn't and we've we were actually trying to replace diesel generators in a lot of mining sites, remote locations, all that kind of thing. You know, you might even in a sort of about 2030 see these things going down the highway. Wow. Um, what about the waste from them? How does that work? Nuclear waste, that's always a big, you know, the NIMBY, not in my backyard. I was in the environment, Senate Environment Public Works Committee. We always had hearings about Yucca Mountain and uh, and Nevada and Utah areas. I mean, no one wanted to, everyone was always fighting over that. What about the waste issue with these nano reactors? So just quickly, I think it, <clears throat> again, nuclear does suffer from bad PR on this. Like if we just just for your listeners to, to put it into context, if you would take all of the nuclear power that's ever been generated in the US with all the reactors, including all the defense industry, everything like that, and you were to take all the waste and put it all in one place, it wouldn't fill a football pitch. It would be, it's it's very, very small amount that's produced. And so if you can imagine with a microreactor, I mean, you're, it's the amount of waste that you would generate would be really insignificant like golf ball size thing over the operation by 20 years. Um, Just to be clear, you said a, 
a football field, right? For all the nuclear energy, that's the way. So it fits. Yes, football and, and field. That's exactly. Reactors from the last decades, including aircraft carriers, submarines, all the big wow. civil Okay. Less than a football field. It is. That's the, a good visual. Okay, so these would be obviously even less. But what is the disposable practice? What is what is the way you would you would in you know in terms of regulatory? What would you do with the waste from these, and how how much would it be, and where would you put it? So how this would look is that we're very lucky in that with our reactors, the burn-up, and what I mean by that is the actual amount of uranium that's being used up in the reactor is less than 1% over a period of like 15 years. That's how dense uranium power is. But what we'll do is when we come in, um, we'll obviously remove the fuel from the reactor, we'll leave the reactor sitting there for about a year, um, and then we'll, we'll take that back to our own facilities. There are interim st um, waste storage facilities being built right now in the U.S., like New Mexico and Texas. Um, but a lot of the stuff that we'll be producing will not actually be very radioactive. So after a certain point, it'll just be able to be scrapped and thrown away. High-level high radioactive waste will just sit within and, and we'll produce hardly anything, really like a golf ball size per reactor. We'll just wow. sit in we'll sit in storage facilities. Um, and <clears throat> you know, nuclear is the only form of energy where you know where all of your waste is at any at every single second down to the last atom and so it's it's really quite a remarkable technology it is a futuristic energy form but we've just not utilized it to the full extent and, and fears about nuclear waste and things like that can really get in the way despite the fact that very little is actually produced and where does this stand regular regulation wise in other words how is how does it look in the u.s with the nuclear uh energy regulatory uh, bodies are you, are you making progress are you optimistic are we decades away from this being on scale i mean how does that work it just seems like government is moving at a, a, a tortoise pace here yeah like <clears throat> it can be difficult because even when the government is um, motivated to do something it can run into the bureaucracy that currently exists and um i i that they do know what they need to do. They do know that microreactors will probably need a different regulatory framework for their approval because you don't, you can't judge them in the same way that you judge a big civil power plant. Um, and so they're, they're looking to try and build these new regulatory frameworks to assess these things. But like, obviously, the sooner they could do that, the better. So we know what to work with. If we have to go through uh, the normal regulatory framework of how they would assess a big reactor, then you're looking at four or five years of very intensive things where a lot of the assessment criteria are, isn't really applicable. And so there's going to be some delays there caused by that. So we're hoping the changes come in place. And we, now that the government is incredibly enthusiastic about nuclear and they're investing a lot into that space, that has to be followed up by advances in the regulatory framework of how these things are assessed. And if it's not, then there will be delays. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the US, but what about... Is Europe embracing them? Is Asia embracing them? Is South America embracing them? Is Africa embracing these small ones? I mean, how does it look for the rest of the world with the, with this technology yeah, and yeah. regulation? Mark, that's a that's a great question, Mark. Uh, so recently at COP28, which is where all the governments of the world c come in and, and talk about- Yeah, I was there too. Yeah, you were there? Oh, you were there? Oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah. We hope to be there next year. Yeah, we hope to be okay, there. Yeah. Or this year, I would say, right? Yeah, um, it's on, and, it's on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you were there, you know, there were dozens of, you know, countries that have committed now to tripling nuclear till 2050. So a ton of these countries are now jumping on board and they were realizing 
you know, from the mistakes of Germany and, and also seeing how China, Russia, and, and that kind of area, that region in the world is building up. And we're just sitting here not building up and companies like Nano Nuclear are here to be proactive about it and kind of make American nuclear great again, I would say. Wow, that's great. Well, I mean, the the if you think about it, you talk about a UN climate summit, you guys should be front and center. You should be giving the keynote, not Greta Thunberg or not. <laughs> if they were actually serious about energy that didn't produce emissions, if that's their goal, why wouldn't yeah. this be front and center? Why do you think that is? Why have they not? You know, they, they oh, almost they're, never they're going to hear about building. this soon. Yeah. What's that? I was just going to say it's going to happen. It's it's, okay. it's inevitable in our eyes. Like James and I have, like we said, analyze this market, and and we think you know micro reactors will be the only feasible kind of deployment of these small reactors. Even these SMRs are still really large and they cost billions of dollars to create. We're planning to actually fabricate this in, in the factory, right? We want to mass produce this and scale this up. So th I think that's the only way to power all these future data centers that want to be off grid. Um, you know, we've talked recently to to one of the largest data center companies in the world and they're, they're interested. They're interested in, in, in buying future power from us, um, even though we haven't even finished our reactors, uh, um, you know, our prototype. They, they see the future as as this small, small reactors. And what about the existing, you know, nuclear reactors? I visited the one at Lake Anna in um, Fredericksburg, Virginia or Stafford, Virginia a few years back. Will this, is, you know, this is a silly question maybe, but is this a threat to the existing nuclear plants or are they on their way out anyway because they can't get renewed and they're aging? Uh, you know, how much do you, do you see these replacing that or do you see the existing nuclear plants in the U.S. existing side by side with this new technology? They are, they are catering to very different markets. Like those big civil plants, they're powering cities, countries. Like <clears throat> we're going to be hitting mining sites, military bases, like things removed from the grid. They're complementary to each other. Like actually, if, if big civil power does well, that's actually really good for us too. And, and vice versa. If we bring um, a lot of new infrastructure to the US to, to fuel this SMR microactive boom, um, that will very much benefit the civil power um, plants as well and actually make power cheaper too because you'll we'll be building up the enrichment facilities, deconversion facilities, fabrication facilities and hopefully all of our energy bills just get cheaper as we go along because that's what we all want. Um, Give me a scale, One probably, we're running out of time, but a scale in terms of how many of these small micro reactors would it take to power a small town? Are we talking like it would take thousands, hundreds? Like, give me an idea of how much on that kind of a scale. Like, how many? Uh, I guess is there any energy equivalent? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, say you know, one of our micro reactors, if you wanted to power a thousand homes for twenty years, you would just need one. It's just as okay. a myth. There we say, go. Okay. Thanks. We're out. Of, we're out of time. I don't want you to get cut off. But thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. No problem. Thank We've you, been Mark. Talking to, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, this is uh, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano. Thanks for having this conversation with us about nuclear. There's uh, James Walker.